Well, I'm so excited that you're here to join me for Voice of Breakthrough, this podcast. Podcast. So we are going to hit some powerful topics. Every single week, we will be having a new podcast with a new topic. So get ready. I'm telling you, this is great to exercise to. This is powerful to uh, listen to when you're cleaning your house or cooking at dinner or cutting the grass, which you turn up loud on your, you know, your, your little iPhone or whatever you have there. Anyway, you're going to love this powerful, life-changing, every single week podcast of Voice of Breakthrough. catch them up in what we're doing um, because I usually tell some kind of story or venture or something and so so we had someone come in we were just talking before we started uh, this broadcast they had something happened where it was just a misunderstanding at at their workplace but the bottom line was someone who really isn't even an authority in their life got on their case a little bit because they didn't show up at a particular job and they didn't know about the job there was a miscommunication and the person was a little bit according to them disrespectful and so anyway so they worked it out with the boss and no big deal but this person came in and still wondered why they were feeling like hurt inside or wronged or they didn't know what was going on so when I began to talk to everybody here, it was like, everybody's like, whoa, that could kind of be me. That could kind of be me. So let me explain to these people who are watching and listening and going to watch. When, okay, if something goes on in you and it still bothers you, especially if it's something that's really not even that big of a deal, but you can't get that feeling out. You know what I'm talking, you all know what I'm talking about. That's a brokenhearted place. Jesus said he came to heal the brokenhearted places. Can everybody get this? If Jesus said he has to do it, it's supernatural. Okay, there are a lot of people sitting at counselors and taking meds and all kinds of things because there's a brokenhearted place in them that has never been healed. And most, most people just keep medicating those brokenhearted places because they don't know what else to do. And Jesus wants to heal them. Okay, he actually wants to go in and heal that. And so you've seen me and heard us here do some inner healings. And so we may get to one of those tonight, we'll see. So how do you tell it's not a spirit? And spirits usually get in to a place that's been hurt, okay? Um, so let's, whatever, if the spirit gets in, that would have triggered a rage, okay? That's not a brokenhearted place. That would be a rage or a cussing or a screaming or a yelling or, you know, acting totally um, crazy, okay? That's when it's demonic. So Jesus comes to heal the brokenhearted place first, and then he tells us he sets captives free. So a lot of people just try to go after demons without healing that hurt place. And what that does, it just, the demon just usually stays there because he, he knows I don't have to leave because I'm hiding under this hurt place, okay? So we were then talking about um, when someone does something to make you angry, if you shove it down. So what would happen? You're purposely attacked by the enemy, set up by the enemy. He knows what he's doing, not the people involved, but he knows what he's doing. And then you shove that down, okay? So what happens? then a spirit's going to try to come in on that hurt place. So that's when people have outbursts of anger. 
Like doesn't even make sense. They just get violent or they have outbursts of anger or they could go into a total crying thing or, you know, there's all kinds of spirits that could come in. They could try to make everybody like them so they could take on a spirit to, you know, seduce people or, you know, I, there's all kinds of spirits that could come in on a hurt place. Okay. So when Jesus came, he came to preach the gospel to the poor in spirit. And that has to do with unsaved. Every person who's unsaved is poor in spirit. It has nothing to do with finances. Every, Jesus came first to, to, bring, to, to make us saved, to bring us into his kingdom. So we now have a way to handle things. Before that, people have to handle things however they handle things, everybody. But once we're saved, then the next thing Jesus wants to do is to heal those, those targeted places that the enemy put in your life so, he, so Satan could get in and hurt you and own you and control you and get you fired from jobs or divorced in relationships or walking away from your kids or um, uh, going after money or going, what, do you understand what I'm saying? So Satan's not, you know, he's not dumb. He, he knows how to manipulate the human race. And so he has to first get in and hurt you and once he's hurt you, he can open up a generational curse. He can cause you to take in a spirit the first time in your family line. He could do whatever. And how many knows once Satan gets that going, he's going to keep building on that, right? He's going to try his best to do whatever he can. Now, I'm just going to talk a little bit about the situation because I know the persons and we've been talking to him some about this. So let's say you had a parent who was what they call bipolar. None of those terms are in the Bible. But the term double-minded is in the Bible. And really, bipolar is kind of a double-minded kind of thing. So I personally believe, and I'm not going to say take this as medical advice. I don't do medical. I do biblical, okay? But if, if we really believe in the spirit realm, which I know beyond a shadow of a doubt there's a spirit realm, and I know beyond a spirit, shadow of a doubt that we are made in the image of God, so we're spirit beings, and I know that, so he put us on planet earth, so we have a body. That's why Jesus became the son of man, so he could get a flesh body, but we won't get into all that. And we all have a soul, okay? A soul is what makes you different than me. And me. It's what God put his artistic touch into our personality. It's where he decided what gifts he was going to give us and how he wanted to use us and how he was going to create. Really, in some ways, you can almost say your soul is God's special uh, DNA that he made just for you. It's like the special fingerprint of God. You know, everybody's fingerprints are different. I don't know how they know that. Who's ever looked at every single fingerprint in all history? But anyway, that's what they say. Every snowflake's different. How do they know that too? Who's ever seen every snowflake before it melts? But whatever. I'm sure they're probably right. I'm just saying. But God has made every single person as an individual. Every single person. So there's nobody who is exactly like you. Some of you are going, thank God. <laughs> it's like, but he also made you to fit into his body um, as one to make one powerful bride, one body of Christ. How awesome. And so the enemy wants to get in and mess with who God wants you, who God already sees you as being, because he's your creator. Satan is not a creator, he's only a perverter. Okay. He cannot create anything. He just perverts what God has created and he tries to get his handprint on it and say, this, this belongs to me. And so that's basically spiritual warfare. If you want to put it all together, what is the enemy up to? So, so in this situation, we'll just use this situation and this could apply. You can apply it however you need to. So in this situation, the father 
it would basically be considered bipolar, which means he can be very, 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 very happy and full of energy and ah, and then get very, very, very depressed and very um, isolated and, and maybe angry or whatever. It's like a real personality swing. And if you looked at the happy, 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 happy person, you're not seeing the real them. And if you look at the sad, sad, isolated by themselves, you're not seeing the real them. They're going to be, the real them is somewhere in between that. And Satan got in and was able to separate their personality into these two extremes. Now, different people in here have different parts of that people. Okay. You have where the enemy came in because of something that happened to you and made you decide you were going to be so happy or everybody was going to like you or you were going to get all the attention or you were going to be the, you chose, you thought you chose what you were going to be. I'm going to be the smartest one. I'm going to be the funniest one. I'm going to be the um, most generous one, whatever it is. You grabbed onto something that you liked about you. And more than likely, God really put that there, right? But then you made that your identity. So you're the person who, who take, loves everybody, takes care of everybody. Or you're the person who's so much fun to be with. Or you're the person who will buy everything for anybody. And you're the person, do you understand what I'm saying? You take something that you really like about yourself and you make that who you are. And that's not the real you. So what happens with that? You get rejected. You'll get rejected. At some point, you'll get tired of being used. At some point, it won't satisfy because you are not going to be able to make yourself into who you want you to be because that's really the enemy perverting what God created. Okay? And what happens, and if you really know if it's to this extreme that we're talking about, when, it, when you seem to get rejected or somebody calls you out on or whatever, it's not working, then all of a sudden you'll see yourself isolating, closing down, becoming a workaholic, um, uh, being sad. All the way to the point where some people get into depression and get on meds and everything else. And then things come along and you pop back up and there you are again. And there's somebody who wants me to work on this or wants me to do this or I can do this or there's a new challenge. And so your life is like that. But the enemy wants to take you down that spiral to where he can destroy you. He, he's not going to be content with you being the happy overspender who's probably in debt. And this is really a big issue. There are people in here and people watching who you spend and spend and spend and spend. And what does the Bible say? If you get in debt, you're a slave. That's what the Bible says. The Bible says if you get in debt, you're a slave. You no longer have free choices to do whatever. And so if you have a, if you have a debt issue, it doesn't matter that you think I can make all this next year. You don't know what next year holds. And you know, okay, for whatever reason, so what's causing that? What's causing that is this trying to feed that part of you that you think people like. And they probably do. Or that you like about yourself, but it's not real. It's, it's a part of who you are, but it's not who God says you are. And Satan comes in and puts slavery on it in the area of debt. Then how do you know you're in debt? Because you can't even do the things God wants you to do. 
You don't know how you're going to put your kids in college. You don't know how you're going to pay if this breaks and in your, your, your credit. And, and some people, okay, some people have really good financial situations. But you know what? It's not a good financial situation. If you've got a ton of potential, but you're always in debt, you have less than somebody who pays their bills on time. And that's where you have to stop this thing. You have to stop and say, you know what? I've got to, I've got to say, why can't I control this? Now, when you can't control it, guess what's involved? A spirit, okay? A spirit's involved when you can't control it, but there's a hurt place behind it. Is this helping anybody? Because we just, everybody keeps going to get more meds and get in more debt and try to work two or three jobs and that they're trying to do this and they're blaming everybody. And what's it going to do? It's going to get you to a place of feeling like a failure because you can't keep serving the enemy as an escape from dealing with real issues. And so one thing I encourage you to do is sit back and say, what should my life look like if I'm led by the Holy Spirit? What should my life look like? Well, for one thing, you won't have debt. If you're led by the Holy Spirit, you will not have debt. And instead, you'll, you'll, you'll have, God will give you opportunities and, and bless you, and you don't even know how he's doing it. I mean, you know how you're like, it's amazing. I mean, God knows how to work uh, everybody else's system. Like, I mean, he, he can, I, I just know my own life, the way he had my husband and I, what we buy, and we're not even trying. We don't know really much about real estate. And we get in exact the right time. And then all of a sudden, um, all of a sudden, God blows up like our beach house, that market. And everything doubles in price and rental. And more money's come in than we ever, ever thought when we got into it. And we weren't trying. And then our other house, um, the, it's just amazing what he's done. And we never tried. We never tried to have three houses. We never once sat down and said, one day, let's have real estate. We never did that. Never. Ever. We weren't even thinking it when it happened. It was actually situations. And I'm not boasting. I'm telling you, how many want to get in the kingdom and let him start being in charge? That's not even including having this million-dollar building paid off. That I have no idea how we did that, except God. See, that, see, when you get into these places where the enemy has you in slavery, you can never really say, oh, but God. Because you're always in somewhat of a mess that you're always trying to dig your way out of or smile your way out of or whatever it is that you do. And God's like tired of it, you guys, okay? When are you going to get tired of it? We're not supposed to live like this. That doesn't mean you have to have a lot. It just means you're going to have what you need and you're going to be so happy. You're going to be able to do what he wants you to do when he wants you to do it. And your life is going to come together. And everybody's is going to look different. It's not about who has what. It's about who's led by God. It's about who's led by God. You need to start looking at the areas in your life and those who are watching. And get a notebook. I tell you, write this down on your phone, whatever you do. Where are the areas of my life that I've been hurt? Jesus calls it the broken-hearted places. What are the broken-hearted places in my life? And then say, what spirits could have got in because of that? Now, remember, spirits are things you don't control. You don't control spirits. You can bind them, but what? Only when you're born again. You can't bind them before that. Before that, they're going to take over in your life. They've got to medicate them. They've got to 
uh, take away all your charge cards. They've got to do something, put you in prison, jail, or whatever to stop what demons are doing. But when you're a born-again believer, you can actually bind them and fast them, which means you can fast that activity. Every person in here, even if there's a spirit there, one way you can know is you can decide, you know, I'm going to fast this. And if you can't, when I say fast, stop this activity. So let's say you have a problem with debt. I'm not looking at anybody specifically. Okay? So how would you fast having a problem? You would all of a sudden take a whole 30 days and not buy anything at all beyond a complete necessity. And not your hyper, hyper idea of necessity. The idea of necessity, if you did not have a credit card and there is no money if you're in debt and you absolutely have to stretch whatever comes in. So what would you do? You figure out what you have to pay, have to pay for your mortgage. The minimum you can get on, get by with eating. And you'd really see what is it that I have to have to live on without all your hyper exceptions in there. And then you would look at that and you say, okay, I'm going to live on this for three months. And all the other money is going to start paying off the debt. And for those acting shocked, this is actually how you should be living anyway. And then when you really can't do it because it's driving you bonkers not to go buy that thing or jump on that opportunity or do that. I'm not talking to anybody. I'm talking to some people. Then that's a spirit that is called slavery. That means that devil can choose to destroy you at some time because you think you control it, but it controls you. And I highly recommend any area of a Christian's life where there is a devil that can take over and control you and destroy your life. You got to take that serious because we should always take it seriously anyway. But we are living in the day where Satan's going around seeing what he can get to. And you might have been able to work your way out and wiggle around and do things for years and years and years. But you're not in control. That was added for somebody or two or three people. Overspending is a big part of a broken-hearted place. But also living like you're poor as dirt and never buying anything and making everybody pay for you. I had this friend, I hope she doesn't listen to this, <laughs> from childhood. I'm not kidding. When you would go over to their house, and, and they lived like they didn't have much, but they actually probably had over a million dollars. But they didn't spend it. And so they would get out peanuts, like the jar of peanuts, and they seriously would give everybody like three peanuts. I'm like, you're kidding. And that spirit got so much in that family line that it's like a generational curse. So, so they, they literally have like a million dollars and live like that. Okay, that's demonic. But so is overspending. Living like you can afford that when you can't. 
one of them, you're just not going to have a lot of fun and you're, people are going to think something's wrong with you and you got a little mental issue, but you'll probably be okay financially. The other one, you're going to run yourself into a place where you're not going to be able to do what God wants you to do. do you, are you getting what I'm saying? The enemy is controlling you. Now, there's other ways this can show up, but for some reason, God's deciding to go here. And you've got to hate that. Can we start hating that Satan owns us a little bit? Are you not a born-again believer with Holy Spirit living in you? Why is it okay for you to hang on to stuff that is bondage and sin in the Bible? And to be quite honest, if you can make a lot of money and you can work your way out of it, then it's worse that you're in debt. You should be a giver. You should be the one loaning, not the one borrowing. You should be the one who has the money to help out with whatever the Lord tells you to do. You should be the one who, who can um, see things and, and be a visionary and make it happen. I'm not meddling. I'm just ministering. Okay, so this is really good for everybody to start to see because God's, the Bible says his people perish because of lack of vision. And so they don't have the vision for what God has for their future. They don't have the vision for what does God have for your family? I mean, where are you living what you want that's not even healthy? Versus where are you living with what God wants to do with your gifting, what God wants to do with your, your financial potential, what God wants to do with you? What, what would, if, if Jesus was really in charge, what would it look like? Look at everybody looking down, nervous, nervous. So, you know, we ought to really think about that. We get born again. We call him Lord. And do our lives look like what he wants them to look like? A few yes and most no's. We're living in a day when God is calling his people to be his people. And so the second thing Jesus came to do was heal those brokenhearted places. Why? And this is a place where you say, Lord, wh what did I judge? What did it, one of the things we're talking about was this be angry. So um, Ephesians 4.21, and I'm reading now the Passion Translation. If you have really experienced the anointed one and heard his truth, it's going to be seen in your life. For we know that the ultimate reality is embodied in Jesus. We're going to look like Jesus. Our lives are going to seem like Jesus. We're going to have the excitement Jesus would have. We're going to have the giving he would have. We're going to have the, the caring he would have. We're going to have the kind of life he has for us. Ephesians 4.22, and he has taught you. Okay, look at this. He has taught you to let go of the lifestyle of the ancient man. Isn't this funny what I just got done saying without reading this first? I love God. He's so cool. He's like, okay, good. You're, on, you're right on topic here. Because I, I had no idea. He has taught you to let go of the lifestyle of the ancient man, the old self-life, which was corrupted by sinful and deceitful desires that spring from delusions. Oh, my goodness. Okay. So the Lord has taught you to let go of the lifestyle of the ancient man or the old self-life. Okay, I want everybody to get this. Your self-life before Christ was corrupted, sinful, deceitful, 
There were deceitful desires that came from delusions. I'm going to look at that in another translation. Let's look at that in the Amplified. But you did not learn Christ in this way. If in fact you have really heard him and you've been taught by him, just as truth is in Jesus, revealed in his life and personified in him, that regarding your previous way of life, you put off your old self, completely discard your former nature, which is being corrupted through deceitful desires, and be continually renewed in the spirit of your mind, having a fresh, untarnished mental and spiritual attitude. Put on the new self, the renewed nature, created in God's image, in the righteousness and holiness of truth, living in a way that expresses to God your gratitude for your salvation. Wow. Okay, one thing when you read this, do you, do you know what it kind of tells you? You get to do this. You're supposed to do this. You're supposed to want to do this. You're going to stand before God one day and he's going to ask you why you didn't do this or he's going to tell you, well done, good and faithful servant. Now, most people have a little bit of this and a little bit not of this and some people have all gone all out on this and, and, and God is really getting us to a place. He's really trying to perfect the people, you guys. He's coming soon. He's shaking everything that can be shaken. Does everybody get that warning? He's shaking everything that can be shaken. You hear me? What does that mean? You better deal with this stuff. How many would rather God deal with this stuff than the devil get a hold of this stuff? The devil get a hold of it, you're in a really bad trial. You let God shake it, and you're going to deal with things like what you're talking about, about why does this hurt? Why does this seem like more of a big deal than it should have? Okay? So I want everybody to know this. You either choose to let God sanctify you, set you apart and make you holy, or devil's going to get you. Oh, she's cursing me. I'm not cursing you. I'm telling you spiritual law that Satan goes around like a lion looking on who he has authority to pounce on. What does the Bible say? Who's been given much is required much. That means if, if you come to this ministry, whether you like it or not, you have been given much. Much, 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 and more much. And you're required to walk in that revelation. Isn't that good? Because freedom feels good. All right. So he has taught you to let go of the lifestyle of the old self-life. Has he taught you that? Has he taught you that? How many knows he's tried to teach you that, some of you, and you just keep bouncing back to the old lifestyle? I want to get rid of this religious thinking some people have, that God's just going to do this. No, he says he taught you to do this. He taught you to do this. He's taught you how to forgive. He's taught you how to come up out of the lies. He's taught you how to say no to the enemy. And if you're waiting for some magic wand to just make it all disappear and boom, you're fine. It doesn't work like that. He calls it crucifying your flesh. 
That does not sound like a magic wand and boof, everything's good. That sounds kind of painful, doesn't it? Doesn't it sound a little painful to say, you mean I shouldn't buy that just because I have a thousand reasons why I should buy that and I've got all these great things I'm gonna do with that and how it's gonna help me with this and da da da. Or you have the, oh, I'm so afraid to buy that. I know God told me to do that, but I'm afraid to do that and I better not do that. And what if I try to do that? Or whatever your thing is anywhere in between. It's your choice. He's not going to take away your free will choice, but he will really try to help you to get out of your delusion. He'll help you. It's delusional to think that um, you're going to get ahead in life because you want to, but you don't do anything to do it. It's delusional. If you need a college education for what you want to be, then you better go get the college education. It's also delusional to think you have gifts and talents that you don't. I remember when the Lord told me, you know, you don't have anywhere near the gift package of, of President Trump or some of these people who are very powerful entrepreneurs. And I used to think I did. He goes, you're, that's a delusion. You're not a 10 talent there. Better go for your five, three to five talent and do something with it. Everybody say amen. amen. Okay, it's okay. Don't buy into everybody's going to be rich. God says, why would you want to be rich? It's hard for them to even get saved. God never says we're all going to be rich. He says we're going to prosper. Right? I mean, the little bit that, that my husband and I have is nothing compared to, to most people. You know, there are people so rich, they don't even know what money is. They just do whatever and buy whatever and buy their way out of whatever. What about that cork? What about that thing today? Anyway, we won't talk about politics. Behave. Jesus is always saying, why do you, why do you want to treat the rich people so well? They're the ones who will stomp on you in a minute. That's what Jesus says. Jesus tells them that. He says it's hard for them to be saved. We need to pray for those rich people. I was going to say poor people, but those poor rich people. <laughs> a lot of them aren't going to be in heaven. They're going to be pretty bad where they're going to be. All right. Let's go on. Here we go. Now it's time to be made new by every revelation that's been given to you. How many know you've gotten a ton of revelation? How many know the entire thing we just walked through to see that little baby uh, coming home from the hospital today, the, the greatest weapon the Lord showed us in fighting for that baby's life was revelation from God's word. And um, just really amazing. And actually, we're going to start, kind of starting tonight, but... Um, definitely starting the whole month of July and August on Tuesday nights, we're going to really teach you. It's called, um, spiritual, it's called spiritual warfare for the serious believer. And we're going to really teach you how to do warfare. And we're going to have conversations like this. We're going to let you tell us what's going on. And then we're going to seek the Lord to get a revelation to help you win. How many are ready to win? How many, we, I, I, if I could change the name of this church right now, but I'm not going to because it's too much involved in that with the IRS and mess. Um, but I would change the name of this church to 
the victorious overcoming church. I want you to start seeing yourself, not like the poor person who needs beauty for ashes, but the person who needs victory, who can overcome the evil one. Jesus is really clear. The word of God's clear. His sons and daughters, he calls them sons and daughters who overcome the evil one. All before that are infants and children. Well, if I'm going to overcome the evil one, does it sound like it's going to be a good time? Not, not if it means the, over, the evil one's coming at you and you got to win. Some of y'all better win. Learn to win really good now. So when he comes at you, he's under your feet really fast. So God, God is now calling forth his sons and daughters to overcome. And so that's what we're going to be doing a whole lot, especially starting July, which is really soon, all the way through August. And we're having a conference August the 12th on a Saturday. And it's going to be really highlighting that. And hopefully, um, more than likely, Caleb and Talia will be here sharing part of their testimony of how they overcame. Now it's time to be made new by every revelation that's been given to you. I want you to start taking revelations very serious. What does revelation mean? Everything God has taught you by his spirit. It can be, you could be here and hear something and it really hits your spirit. And you're like, wow, that's really true. That's good. I need that. Okay, that's a revelation. It could be reading the word and something jumps off the page and you get it. I'm talking about revelation. The difference between revelation and hidden knowledge. This is so important. You will never win a battle against the enemy with hid knowledge. He knows the word better than you do, and he will always know the better word better than you do in your intellectual understanding. But we have the mind of Christ, and with the mind of Christ, we have revelations Satan can't even begin to see by the word of God. He's got to listen to somebody with revelation to even catch on to the revelation. He has no ability to get revelation from God's word, but he can know it. He can put you in bondage with it. He can twist it. He can attack you with it. He could try to make you feel like a failure with it. He can, or he can make you think this is all you need to do. And then he beats the boodles out of you and you blame God. He can never win against revelation. Why? Because revelation is what Holy Spirit himself is giving you. And you need to get tired of living with hid knowledge and thinking that that's spiritual. How many know, all of us know somebody who said, by his stripes I'm healed, by his stripes I'm healed, by his stripes is healed, and we all went to the funeral. And they said they fought a good fight. It wasn't a good fight, they lost. I mean, I'm serious. It wasn't, there wasn't a good fight. They weren't having fun taking the chemo, losing their hair, throwing up, being sick, being so weak. They said, God, please take me home. I'm not making fun of them. I'm just saying that's not a good fight. I don't see anybody signing up for that fight. Anybody want to sign up for that? I want to see how much of a good fight that is. It's a good fight because we win. It's only a good fight when we win. Now that we get to go to heaven because Jesus won, well, praise God. Well, let's just all be, I know, people, she's just so, she's just so honest. She just says what everybody else thinks. There's not a single person who thinks it's a good fight if you die. Am, am, I, make, am I telling the truth? Okay. Everybody see that fight like, um, <laughs> that's not, okay. 
See, when, when my daughter died right in front of me, that was not a good fight. That was a lousy fight. That was an evil hit from the enemy. I was really ticked off at him. I knew God didn't do it. But guess what? When he then decided he was going to destroy me and my family with sorrow and grief, guess what? I got up with my boxing gloves on, and I heard from God, and I went after God, and I beat the tar out of him. And we didn't have sorrow and grief. I didn't have sorrow and grief in my house. And my marriage is into 44 years, and we went through all that. And my sons are happily well-adjusted people because they got inner healings, deliverances, and everything they needed. And then when the devil showed back up to try to slam me again to kill my son, and even told me so. Well, you buried one, you're going to bury another. I said, you shut up in the name of Jesus. And I said, God, teach me to fight. And he lost. The devil lost. Nothing that the doctor said was going to happen to my son happened, praise God. So I learned how to fight. And it won't cute stuff. And it wasn't cute little prayers. And it wasn't just, I hope this all works out. I first had to recognize the fight that wasn't good and ask for God to make sure I never, ever lost a fight again. Teach me your ways, oh God. Teach my hands to war. If you don't really want to learn how to war, you're probably not going to like how intense these meetings are going to be this summer. Because I've actually had enough of the enemy. And I think some of you are probably maybe tired of him. Maybe you're finally tired of what he's done to your families. Maybe you're finally tired of what he's done to your self-esteem. Maybe you're finally tired. I hope so. Why don't you get tired enough to fight the good fight and get free enough to recognize, get out of delusion enough to know you need to fight. You need to fight. It's not okay to have somebody else fighting for you. We had other battles this summer, and I couldn't fight them for those people, and they lost. He didn't say, oh, just get one good pastor who can knows how to fight, and you're fine. I would encourage you, especially if you're not here, I would really try to go to a church where the pastor or leader or overseer knows how to fight. For one thing, I don't like doing funerals, so I wish y'all would all learn how to fight really good. And some of you really learned. I was thinking of the day, you know, Linda, you got two grandsons who are alive that weren't supposed to be alive. That was a good fight. It was rough at the time. It was a good fight. And we all need to pray. Deborah's probably watching. Deborah's husband's still alive. He's supposed to not make it a long time ago, and she's getting a good fight. We need the good fight. It's a good fight because we win. And it's not a good fight until we win. But we're not going to win unless we can count it all joy. And we're not going to count it all joy unless we begin to see how real God is, how powerful he is, and begin to get to know him in a real way. And then it's amazing that you can count it all joy. If you knew how many times Talia in this battle that she had was laughing and really having a great time because of who God is. And I would say, you don't understand. Most people going through something this serious, they don't laugh like this. You got real faith. You're learning who God really is. You're really repenting. You're really changing. I'm telling you, this is going to be one of the, maybe the best, maybe, maybe writing this book is actually going to be maybe the most powerful thing I do in my whole life because I'm going to, to show you how to fight. I have over th probably 300 text messages, Holy Spirit led most of them, of, to teach them how to fight. 
and their response and how they fought and what God showed them and how they matured and how they got to this place of victory. And guess what? That by themselves, those text messages could be the book. And it was not a one-time prayer and a five-second thing. And if you think it's going to be to win your fight, why are you here? There's enough books out there giving you the five steps that work once in a while. This was probably 5,000 steps, and all of them were running in Jesus. Because there's no formula. That's the good news. There's a relationship. That's the good news. There's a revelation of who God is and how wonderful he is, how powerful he is to where you know that you know the devil cannot beat him and he is the reason it's a good fight. But you have to do like we're doing tonight. You have to go back and see where did the enemy come in and set me up to fail before I even knew the name of Jesus? Where did I shove something down? If people go off into anger, fits of anger, they were somebody who chose to shove things down when they were angry. And then they go off. They're the people you walk on eggshells around. I say smash the eggshells. Smash them hard. Just know what to do when the devil services. Bind it in the name of Jesus and say, that's not you. <laughs> Let that person go. <laughs> devil, I'm not putting up with this. Anyway, all right. It's time to be transformed as you embrace the glorious Christ within, within you as your new life and you live in union with him. This is part people hardly can get. Y'all got to get this. This is really about being one with God. This is about really having a relationship with God where you talk to him and he talks back and where he shows you his word, and where he's a real powerful, awesome, and fun being. Like, there's a real personality with Jesus. Like, a real personality. Not this hyper-spiritual mess that people try to act like it's God. He's actually very funny, to be quite honest. But he's also very... He, when, I mean, it's been more than once. It's a lot when he says, don't talk to me like that. Yes, sir. Yeah, like, like, who are you to tell? <laughs> Especially if I judge something. He goes, who are you to judge? I'm really nobody to judge, am I? <laughs> You're right. Forgive me. But he's also very forgiving. He's amazing that he can put up with us. Thank God. I should have been squashed a long time ago. I should have been by God himself a long time ago. But in his mercy and his great love and the way he sees the finished product. See, and, and if you ever don't try to see yourself the way God sees you, you've already lost. The reason God constantly forgives, constantly pours out mercy, constantly continues to deal with us is because he already sees with his perfect faith what we're going to be. He already sees what he always knew from the day he first had a thought about you, from the day he first decided that you were going to be his, from the day he wrote your name in the Lamb's Book of Life, from the day he wrote all the works you were going to do, all the things he sees. Do you know he's so big, he only thinks he can win? 
And he's so amazing that if someone doesn't let him win, he doesn't say, well, I'm not, well, then I'm not, I don't think anybody's going to win. Nope. He looks right at the other person and he goes, I only see you winning. And it's amazing when Jesus Christ walks on the planet as the son of man, even though he's still the son of God, as Peter reveals who he is. And he is awe, he's in awe at, I think it was the centurion's faith to say, just speak the word and my servant or my, my son will be healed. And God's like, wow, this person really understands authority. This person knows I don't have to go lay hands on that child. I don't have to do a special script. All I have to do is say it. And, and the, I, I, I want to be one of those people. I don't necessarily want to go through what they've gone through, but I probably already have. But I want God to be able to say, you cannot stop this person from believing me. No matter what. No matter what. And I'm going to tell you, when you get a persevering trial, see, to other people watching a long trial, they're like, oh, it's just not working. You have no idea. If you're not changing, you're right, it's not working. If you're not falling more in love with Jesus Christ and knowing him better, you're right, it's not working. If you're not getting into the count it all joy thing, you are not running that race. Your trial is not successful. Count it all joy is not a cute slogan. It's a reality of relationship that's being developed as you walk with God. And he takes you there and he goes, okay, we're going to face this. Doesn't mean you, he doesn't really, do y'all know he doesn't really care if you don't want to face it? I know y'all heard the story when, when, um, I'll never forget it. You know how you have those, for us old people, those Kodak moments for those young people that, selfie thing or something I don't know they got so many of them good gosh you got more pictures of themselves than anyhow but I'll never forget I was asking the Lord for compassion asking the Lord for compassion I actually finally have compassion it took a long time thank you all for putting up with me on the process to compassion but my son was really attacked really really sick they thought he had cancer all this stuff and and I remember taking him to King's Daughters, and we had to go in for, um, for the first um, whatever. He was super sick. He only had a, I think he only had a third, not even a third of the blood in his body. They didn't even know how he walked into the place. But I remember I, I, once I saw the cancer clinic and all this stuff, I, I went into the bathroom, and I said to God, I changed my mind. I don't want compassion. I don't want it. It's too high a price to pay. I don't want compassion. Just let me know you and keep ministering the way I'm ministering. It doesn't matter that I don't care about the people that much. It doesn't matter that I don't feel the way you do. They all think I'm great. That's good enough for me. And do you know what Holy Spirit said? No. We're going to see this thing through. That's what the Holy Spirit said. The Holy Spirit said, no, we're going. To. In other words, he said, you can't get out of this. I'm sitting in the bathroom at King's Arms going, not sitting, standing, to be honest, looking in the mirror like, what? He goes, no, you can't get out of this. And guess what? I didn't get out of it till I won. Took about 16 years. Do you know how thrilled I am that this particular trial God had me coach this couple through? Took, what, 
see, we all know about it, what, um, about September. September 22nd, the first word we heard from Tilly and Caleb about there being a problem. Lauren's birthday. <laughs> September, October, November, December, January, February, March, April, May, June. Ten months. This has been a ten-month thing. Ten months is not long compared to 16 years. I'm glad he didn't tell us 10 months, though, at the time. I'm certainly glad he didn't tell me 16 years. But I was able to count it joy because I got to know him. I got to walk with him. I, I, I began to understand him. I read his word. I believed his word. I grew in my understanding of who he was. Do you understand what I'm saying? And that's where you count it joy because you really only have one life to learn all this, you guys. And you can learn just by his word and obedience. So, be transformed as you embrace the glorious Christ within you and your new life and live in oneness with him. For God has recreated you all over again in his perfect righteousness and you now belong to him in the realm of true holiness. So discard. Here we go. This is our part. He doesn't just make this magically disappear. Discard every form of dishonesty, dishonesty and lying so that you will be known as one who always speaks the truth for we all belong to one another. Can I tell you one of the biggest things to quit lying to, to who to quit lying to is yourself. Quit lying to yourself. Quit lying to yourself. Get honest with yourself and then quit lying to other people. Just quit lying. But nobody will like me. Well, God likes you, but he doesn't. But Satan's the father of lies. Every time you lie, recognize Satan goes, that's my boy, that's my girl. How horrible. I don't want, I don't want Satan to have his little stripes on the, you know, just there they go. That's my girl, that's my boy, that's my girl. No, I want to erase all that. I don't want to lie. Sometimes I may not say anything because I don't want to hurt your feelings, but I'm not going to lie to you. You're not supposed to speak the truth either unless it's in love. So sometimes you're just going to be quiet. <laughs> when you speak the truth in love, when you, when you can speak in love, you can speak how difficult the truth is. You can say it. But God says, um, so that's our part. I, I want us to get our part. Our part is to quit lying. To have no form of dishonesty. Stop lying. Always speak the truth. For we belong to one another. Then it says, don't let the passion of your emotions. Now this is where the one says, don't be angry and sin not. Don't let the passion of your emotions lead you to sin. Don't let anger control you or be fuel for revenge. Not even for a day. All right. Don't give the slanderous accuser of the devil an opportunity to manipulate you. Wow. All right. Don't let the passion of your emotions lead you to sin. So we need to put our emotions under the, we need to get our emotions under the control of the Holy Spirit. Amen. We need to get our emotions under the control of the Holy Spirit now. If you put your emotions under the control of the enemy and you locked your emotions away, 
because it was too painful to have emotions or somebody made fun of you when you had emotions or somebody didn't understand your emotions, okay? When you lock those emotions away, it's things like I'll never cry or you'll never make me cry or you'll never see me cry or you can't make me smile. I'm not going to give it to anybody to see my emotions, okay? All that is the enemy taking authority in your emotions. How many know that the enemy being in charge of your emotions is probably not going to be a good thing? Okay? But when you lock your emotions away, you actually put the enemy in charge of them. So, so when you see that, that's a place you need to have God heal that brokenhearted place. No one's going to see me cry. They'll never see me cry again. They're not going to make me, you know. And, and that's the stuff you really have to start spending some time going to God and doing. You're like, okay, Lord, show me where this has happened. Um, I was talking to someone I was sharing some things with. This was a black woman. And as she was talking about some things and seeking the Lord, she was shocked to find out she hated black people. She was like, I had no idea I hated black people. She's black. Well, you know what? She knew. She, she worked it out with God. She didn't work hate people. She didn't hate black people. She hated what the enemy did using certain black people and how they got stereotyped and how uh, they reacted to things. So she became racist against her own race. And she had to go work that out with God. She had to recognize all black people aren't the same. All white people aren't the same. All rich people aren't the same. All poor people aren't. Do you know nobody's the same? And she had to bust through that to get a healing she needed in a totally different situation. Do you know how hard it probably is for a black lady to tell me I hated black people, I never knew it? but she was able to get healed. She was able to get free. And, and I don't know why I'm saying this. Okay, just, just to put this out there for people. All right. In the Caucasian race, there are people who dress nice and talk nice. There are people who dress slutty and talk slutty. There are people who act fancy and don't act fancy. They also have the complete range of different ways people act. And if you put everybody in the same category, it's ridiculous. Well, it's the same thing for every single race. Every person who's Asian doesn't act a certain way, but there are certain people who act a certain way and other people that, you know what I'm saying? So we need to just bust all of that thinking out because that is where stereotypes and all this stuff come in. And what happens if I judge a certain characteristic in a person and I become that judge because I hate that characteristic, then all of a sudden I become that judge and then I do everything I can to not be like that. And what happens? All of a sudden, Satan's in charge of who I'm becoming and what I'm doing and how I'm doing it. Do you understand what I'm saying? God's like, God's like, can y'all get Satan out of everything, please? I died to set you free from all that. 
Okay, I, I created you in my image, in my likeness. I like your skin color. I like what level of, of IQ you have. I like how I made you. He's very clear that some have one talent, some have five, some have 10, and he knows what he's doing. And how many of you know if God, you don't want 10 talents if he wants you to have five. You even don't want five if he wants you to have one. Be a lot of work. There'd be a lot more decisions to make, a lot more to be responsible for. You know what I mean? But, but if you're called to that, he's going to give you what it takes for that. But if you're not called for that, you're going to have a heck of a hard life. Now, if you act like a one and you're a five, he's going to say you're wicked. <laughs> he doesn't require you to be any more than what he's given you. And that's why he wants you to appreciate each other. We don't need everybody to be a doctor. I'm telling you, when you need a plumber, you're happy you got a friend who's a plumber and you're not calling the hospital room asking for a doctor. Right? And when you need somebody to cut your grass, you're really happy there's somebody who cuts grass. Even though they charge what a plumber charges, who charges what a doctor charges. But we won't talk about all that. Do you know what I'm saying? And see, God knows it takes all these different talents and everything also for his body to work. And he's not about thinking like we're thinking. And he wants to set us free. And part of this whole idea of the enemy coming in and hurting you and causing you to suppress something is somebody probably judging you and you making an inner vow that you'd never be like that. God's word's so clear. The minute I decide I'm never going to be like something, I've already given the devil the keys to make me like that. That's why you want to break all those inner vows. You want to break all those judgments. The minute you say, well, I'll never do that, Satan goes, oh, yay. That's something we can work on now. But that's when you can say, Lord, forgive me. I know when I said that now, I break the power of that. Forgive me, Lord. Who am I to judge another person? I don't know what they're going through. It's really none of my business. Lord, help me. Just help me be who you want me to be. So I know we're running out of time, aren't we? All right. So the other Ephesians 4, 27. Don't give the slanderous accuser of the devil an opportunity to manipulate you. Let me see what that says in another one. Do not give the devil an opportunity to lead you into sin by holding a grudge or nurturing anger or harboring resentment or cultivating bitterness. All right, so I want you to get that. If I am angry, the Bible says to be angry and sin not. So, so we need to go to every angry place that we shove down, okay? Well, this is going to take some time. Okay, it, all right, yeah. It, he, the devil didn't mess you up in a day, and it may take some time for you to spend the time with your heavenly father, the glorious Lord Jesus and the Holy Spirit to set you free. He's already paid the price. So it's not that it's more about you wanting to be free. First of all, realizing you need to be free. That's why when you blame everybody else or justify your sin, the blood doesn't touch it. The blood cannot touch justified sin. So let's just say, let's say somebody is, um, well, this, 
let's say somebody um, is drawn to the wrong gender and they think God made them that way. So what happens when you think God made you that way? You are justifying your sin. And justified sin cannot be forgiven. Justified sin, the blood cannot touch. And justified sin has no area where God can get to it because there's no repentance. Do you understand why the enemy wants us to think that certain things we're born with? that certain things are justified. So if he can keep you in justified sin, for example, if somebody really hurt you and you were a victim, but in that place of being a victim, you now justify your response. You justify your sin. You justify. So does everybody get that? Justified sin. The whole idea of sin being justified is the idea of I don't need the blood I don't need to ask forgiveness and I don't need God's blood to uh, cleanse me from this sin because it's not my fault. Satan's really very brilliant at his evil, isn't he? Okay, gosh, that blood covers everything. That blood absolutely covers everything. No matter what we get them to do, no matter how they sin, no matter, we have to get them to justify it so the blood can't cover it. So the enemy still has access to bring violence into your life, to destroy your finances, to hurt your self-esteem, to get you medicated, everything. Do you understand what I'm saying? Don't justify your anger. If you send with your anger, repent. Yeah, but you don't know. My dad used to do this and that, or my mom used to do this and that. Okay, you're justifying your response. If your response was sinful, whether you shoved it down and shoved it down and had outbursts of angers that ruined relationships later or made it so you couldn't keep a job, do you understand what I'm saying? It doesn't matter. You are justifying your anger, so now you're justifying or you just feel ashamed for your outbursts or whatever. Do you understand what I'm saying? You go back and now you bring the blood of Christ to it. God, I get it. Now I can forgive that person. Because that's a devil in them having them scream and act crazy and cuss me out or whatever's going on. So, Father, in the, and we had a good teacher on this the other day. Father, right now, I thank you that they're made in your image and your likeness. So I take that person. We had this whole thing. I watched it. It came out today on YouTube. Take that person and say, God, I give that person to you. I'll just use, I'll use Chris because he, he's cool with this. So Chris had a situation where somebody in his life, a parent, was extremely abusive, right? Really abusive, like cruel abusive. So what he has to do, and because of that, he got into some sin, he got anger issues, he got all kinds of, of hurt places. But he, guess what? Until he can forgive that person, he can't get free. He can't get free till he forgives. I'm talking to everybody in here right now. Until you can really forgive. Okay, forgiving doesn't mean it comes back up and you talk about it like this. <laughs> forgiving doesn't mean every time you get a chance to bash that person, you do. It doesn't mean, oh, I can't talk about that. You haven't forgiven. You haven't forgiven. 
You're going through the motions, but you haven't had the revelation to really forgive. Real forgiveness is forgiveness. I don't want to stand before God one day and goes, I can't believe you did that. <laughs> I asked you to forgive me. I know, but... <laughs> okay, that's not forgiveness. Thank God he's not like that. He says, I, I really forgave you. I really forget. It's, it's something that's never going to come up again. I'm not even concerned about it. I don't hold it against you for one second. I'm talking to a bunch of you right now. You still hold it against some people you used to be married to. You still hold it against a parent who was horrific. You still hold it against a friend who stabbed you in the back. You still hold it against a mom who took off and messed up the whole family. You still vilify it. You still... And God's like, you know how to forgive. You cannot be in this church very long and not know how to forgive. Take the person made in the image and likeness of God, who God wants, who God died for, who God paid the price to forgive them, who God wants them in heaven. That's the only way he really wins, what he paid for. And you say, God, I forgive that person and I give them to you. But I hate the evil spirit that had them cuss at me. I hate the evil spirit. People's spirits are damned, okay? There's, they're not going to be redeemed. They're evil. And God says to hate evil. But we've been taught, don't hate them. Well, you have to take the person made in the image and likeness of God and give them to God through forgiveness. It doesn't mean you even have to have a relationship with them again. But... If you really do that and they find Jesus Christ, even on this planet, you'll probably make it right. But you'll definitely be thrilled to see them in heaven who he made them to be. Won't that be awesome to actually get to heaven and somebody actually got saved who nobody thought in the whole wide world could get saved? Wouldn't it be awesome if all these politicians who are trying to destroy our nation all really get saved and we get to see them in heaven, how God really made them and watch? That would be so cool. That's the real victory. That's the real victory for the person who you think ruined your life. To become who God always wanted them to be is the only full victory. And when you don't forgive, you are part of hindering that from happening. And God says, I can't forgive you. Doesn't he say that? He says that. So your life is going to be very, 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 very miserable until you finally humble yourself and forgive that person. Now, you hate evil. So the, the part that in all the teaching I've ever heard, and you don't hate God. Oh, you're going to hate God. You, can be, you cannot hate God. You cannot be mad at God. If a counselor ever tells you that, tell them to please show you that in the word. That is blasphemous. Please don't even begin to tell me to hate God because you should be telling me to hate the devil. So get your doctrine right. Understand who God is. Understand who the devil is. It's the devil who does evil, not God. So if you tell me to hate God, it's okay to be angry at God. Could you show me that? I, everybody I see angry at God in Scripture gets in pretty much trouble. That's, that's, there's just no biblical reason. They, they do it, okay, because I know I'm, I'm with um, 
deliverance ministries and I go to some of their things and, and they all have saying that. The first thing we have you do and forgive God. I'm like, like he did something wrong? I mean, that is so taught, right? Okay, so you need to tell them, no, I'm not going to forgive God. I'm going to, and I don't supposed to forgive the devil, and the devil did it, not God. So why do you want me to forgive? That's what he says. The devil did this to me. Why do you want me to forgive God? And there's, I'm not supposed to forgive the devil. I'm supposed to hate him. You need to counsel better. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Why are you there? But you see what I'm saying? People don't know what to do with that hate. And then people, the, the counselors, for whatever reason, want you to hate God. And then ask him to forgive you. First you forgive him. Oh my gosh. Talk about pride. Can you imagine? Excuse me, God. I forgive you. <laughs> oh my God. Thank God he's merciful, isn't he? Thank God he's merciful. Thank God he's merciful. Okay, so biblically, you forgive the person, and y'all have heard me say this, but it must be needed. Lord, show me that in the word. Jesus is on the cross. They're crucifying him. They're beating him. They've tormented him. They tortured him. And he says, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. And y'all have heard this, but they actually knew they were crucifying him like he would die. They actually knew beating him would hurt, pulling out his beard and disfiguring his whole body wouldn't be pleasant. So I was like, God... I know you're right, but could you explain to me how they didn't know what they were doing? And the Lord said, yeah, they didn't understand the plan of redemption. They didn't understand um, what was going on in the spirit realm. They didn't understand the demons that were stirring the people to see how crucified. They didn't understand that he was dying for the sins of the world. They didn't understand. So I could say, Father, forgive them. They didn't know what they were doing. But Chris, your dad did not know when he was cussing you out and beating you and calling you names and making fun of you and all the other things. He didn't know what he was doing. He hated himself for doing it. But he hated himself before you were ever born. Because he didn't know God. And you've forgiven him, haven't you? And, and, and you, you don't react the way you used to because you're really getting free, right? Isn't that cool? So you forgive them. And then, now here's the part. If I really hate evil, I'm not going to participate with it. I can't sit there and say, I hate evil, and yet I still continue to sin. And sometimes you have to go with God in a deep place. If that evil you do brings some kind of pleasure, such as gluttony, perversion, pornography, alcohol, drugs, then you have to actually go to a place and say, God, all the things you created for me to enjoy in a healthy, wholesome, holy way. I let Satan get in charge of. 
please forgive me. And now I, I'm enslaved to those things. God, please forgive me. And you got to get this revelation. You were not created to hate things that God created to be pleasurable. But you have to hate that you gave that power to the enemy to destroy you. That's another really good revelation I got. We try to make people think they're going to hate that, but they're not going to hate it because lust is going to take the place of, of God's kind of passion and goodness, but it's going to still trigger that pleasure. I think I teach you called perverted pleasure from years ago. And you got to sit there now. So I, you, he's not asking you to repent that you've got pleasure happening. He's asking you to repent that you turned that over to Satan to be in charge of. So now he can keep you in shame and bondage and perversion, ruin real relationships, ruin the real, ruin what eating healthy could bring to your body, ruin what a good a healthy marriage with sex the way it's supposed to be can be in your life. Begin to see, do you understand what I'm saying? God's saying, no, no, break the power of enslavement by hating that Satan got in charge of this and you let him. And then ask God to set you free. How I many know whom the sun sets free is free indeed? And when the devil tries to keep your bondage, he says, oh, you know you like that. Oh, you know. You. It's like, they say, shut up, devil. Number one, don't tell me what, we, what I like. And number two, you, didn't create, you did not create the part I like. You just put the bondage on it to ruin my life. And no, I don't want your bondage. I want a real healthy marriage. I want real healthy relationships. I want a real healthy body. I want to do things the way God wants me to do things. I don't want this perversion. And you're a liar from the pit of hell. Shut up in the name of Jesus and get under my feet. Lord, punish this demon for even talking to me about this. Y'all got to learn to get tough on those devils. I'm serious. But you can't get very tough on a devil that you're still enslaved to. Freedom from enslavement takes that fast. It's called repentance. God, forgive me. Okay, here's the thing. You're not going to say, God, forgive me for eating that. Because you like eating that or, or whatever pleasure you're doing that Satan's leading. You say, God, forgive me for using that led by the enemy as a way to not deal with my real issues. Amen. Lord, forgive me for letting the enemy enslave me because I ran to something that you created and you're very clear in your word that it's for holy. It's very clear in your word how you want it used. But Lord, forgive me for running to that thing the enemy tempted me. I went there. I got enslaved to it. And now it's ruining marriages. It's ruining my self-esteem. It's putting me in shame. It makes me feel like I can't come and talk to you. Do you understand what I'm saying? It's ruining my health. It's causing all these medical problems. Depending on what it is. Do you get what I'm saying? So he doesn't want you to ask him to forgive you that what he made for pleasure causes pleasure. He wants you to repent for running to that thing led by the devil and putting Satan in charge of it. And he wants you to take it back, ask God to heal what you've seen, heal what you've heard, heal the, the way your body responds to those things and ask God to put things back in order and be in charge of it. 
cigarettes, alcohol, drugs, any of it. I'm telling you what, if you got to sit there and drink some cough medicine to go to sleep at night, you got an issue. If you got to take a pill before you can do this or do that, you got an issue. You're enslaved. And you need to go before God and say, Lord, help me with this. If it's a medical reason you can't sleep at night, ask God to show you what it is. Get help for it. Now, and if, you, if you're sick and you need cough medicine, ask God to help you not get sick so much. Take your cough medicine. Thank him for it. But then don't get in the habit of having to take it all the time. And then ask God, help me to be healthy. Help me not to get a cold. Show me what to do. Teach me your ways. There's no condemnation in Christ. Does everybody get this? Boy, I don't, for somebody who didn't have anything planned, we went all over the place. <laughs> okay. What the Lord is having me to do is try to bring this down to earth for some of you and help you to see things. So like, oh, okay, I get it, I get it. I, I can forgive. There's, there's no way you can't forgive unless you really want to go to hell. And if, and if you were the devil, and thank God you're not, but wouldn't, it be, wouldn't you try to get people to do things so bad to people that they could never forgive so he can make sure they could never get saved? You want to really, you want to really get in the kingdom? Forgive the people who hurt you the most, who seem unforgivable, and start really praying for them and go after them in prayer that God would get a hold of them. That doesn't mean you have to have anything to do with them anymore. It means you want them to get to heaven one day, for real. All of a sudden, now you're fighting the way God would be fighting for them. And you got to deal with it. You got to quit pretending you're okay about that person who hurt you when you're not. That unforgiveness isn't just going to go away till you decide to get real about all this. All right. Did that help? <laughs> so I'm going to do a prayer. Lord, help me. Whew. Lord, right now, you've brought into people's thinking where they've been hurt. So, Lord, right now, by your spirit, help them to know how to go to that hurt place and to see you. See what you would have said. And, Lord, we'll just go in this one situation. We'll, we'll get two situations. Father, right now, where I know there's at least two men here who are angry at their fathers for different reasons. And both of them shoved it down. And one of them just decided to create himself into somebody who would never hurt anybody. Somebody that people would like having around. Somebody who could rescue everybody and do everything and, and just, just make sure everything was okay. And just pretend... that it wasn't that bad. Just pretend that his mother wasn't hurt that bad. Just pretend that the family wasn't walking on eggshells. And put all the focus on himself. And I see the Lord come into that little boy 
and saying, you know, you can be angry about that and not sin. You can have your emotions and not let the devil use them to trigger you into anger. You don't have to have your emotions all over the place or all closed down. And I just see the Lord talking to the person who has this roller coaster with their emotions. And I just see the Lord saying, I just see him getting right in your right, like sitting beside you, just like good friends, looking you in the face and going, you know, you need that emotion of happy. You need that emotion of sad. You need that emotion of excitement. And you need that emotion of just being still. I hear the Lord saying there's so many emotions. Just read some of the great authors' books and all the way they describe things. There's so many emotions. And I hear the Lord saying, I want to put your emotions back inside of you the way they were created to be. Not shoved way down or not pushed way up, but right in the very soul of you, your very heart. And I want to give those emotions back to you because they belong to you. They don't belong to the enemy. They were never supposed to be a tool against other people or a weapon against other people. And they were never supposed to be something that you had to control. They were supposed to be a gift as you walked through life and enjoyed life. Your whole being would flow with what's going on. And they would never be at a place where Satan could use them to hurt you. And I just see you looking at the Lord going, huh? You want me to take all those emotions back? You can trust me with them. And I hear the Lord saying, yes, I can trust you with them because you're created in my image and my likeness. And I really enjoyed when I could shout and celebrate and dance and enjoy what was going on when I came in flesh. That was so awesome. And I also felt what it was like to weep when I knew that my people had missed the hour of my visitation. I knew what it was like to feel so angry at the religious people trying to destroy people's lives. I knew what it felt like to turn over those money-changing tables to protest against them trying to destroy what knowing my father was really about.
I want you to have your emotions back. Well, right now we all take back our emotions. We take back our emotions and we put them in our control. Our control. We command the enemy away from our emotions. He can no longer make us feel super happy or super sad. Oh, he can no longer try to get us to run out and buy things we don't need or be too afraid to buy anything. He no longer has authority in our emotions. We thank you, God. It was your gift to us when you made us in your likeness and your image. And now, Lord, we ask for the fruit of self-control. Lord, we want to mature and walk with you in such a way as to be able to control our emotions and not let them control us or manipulate others. So we ask you, God, to teach us. Teach us, God, how to forgive when we're angry. Teach us, God, how not to go off and curse and and let the enemy get in to us through these emotions. I just see the Lord hugging you and saying, I'm glad you got your emotions back. Now the enemy is no longer able to take you into deep, deep sadness and depression or make you so extreme happy or excited about something that he can use you in delusion. And I just speak wholeness now in the name of Jesus. I speak wholeness now, and I'm going to do the, the other one for the other person. And I know these are ministering to more than one of you. And I just hear the Lord saying, you really shoved down that anger. You shoved down that anger. You shoved down that anger, but you've forgiven now. But I want to give you your emotion back. You're so afraid of anger. You're so afraid of anger that you want to stay away from anybody who might make you angry. You're so afraid of anger that you'll run to things that aren't of my spirit, things that are bad for you to not have real relationships because in in these counterfeit relationships, you don't get angry and hurt somebody. Although the Lord saying in that relationship, you hurt every relationship you've ever had. But mainly you re-hurt yourself and you hurt your relationship with me. And I hear the Lord saying, I'm going to give you back your emotions. And I hear the Lord saying, I trust you with them. I trust you with your emotions. I want you to trust yourself with your emotions. I want you to trust yourself with your emotions. And I just see the Lord hugging on you and telling you, it's okay. You're made in my image and my likeness. And you can handle anger without sinning. And you can hanger, you can handle joy. Joy is actually for the spirit, but you can handle happy. You can be happy with somebody and not have it go into a place that it doesn't belong. I'm giving you back 
your emotions. I hear the Lord saying to everyone in here tonight, just about, I'm giving you back your emotions. Say, Lord, I want my emotions back. I take them away from the enemy and I receive them to myself. And Lord, I thank you that I'm made in your image and your likeness. And these emotions are part of who you made me to be. Cleanse them and heal me so I can handle these emotions for your glory. I just speak wholeness over everybody now in the area of emotions. I speak wholeness in Jesus' name. Lord, we break off people running to drugs and alcohol and unclean relationships to try to fill emotions. We break off that now in the name of Jesus. And we have our emotions. We have our emotions. And Lord, we want to be led by your spirit. We want our relationships led by your spirit. We want the fun activities we do led by your spirit. We want everything, Lord, led by your spirit. And I just speak peace right now. I speak peace over people in this place and people watching. I speak peace to quit running after fun. Quit running after things. Quit running after things to stir up the emotions that you want. And just receive your emotions. And now run after God. Now run after God. And not only will you feel happy, you'll have joy. Not only will you have righteous anger to know how to rescue people and help people and know what's important and to stand up for those things God would have you stand up for. But you'll know he will give you the grace and the courage to do what you need to do with these emotions. And so, Father, we thank you right now for restoration in this place. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Now, if you love this teaching, and you better say you love this teaching, then we want you to check out our web at beautyforashes.org. There is so much teaching there, and there's a resource uh, library there. And also, check out my Facebook page at Cindy Foster Beauty for Ashes Ministry. We'd love you to partner with us and come along for the ride into the apostolic. God bless you.